Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Brian, joined in the studio by Pastor Eric, Pastor Ross. Guys, today is uh, day number one, week number one of at least three months worth of episodes on the Gospel of Mark. We wanted to sort of start the year off um, studying one of the four Gospels and, and learning about Jesus and taking a little bit of a deeper dive. This is a little different than what we would typically do on the Pursue God podcast, but we're excited about it. I'm a little nervous about it too, but I'm excited about it. And today we're just going to do one verse, Mark chapter one, verse one. And we're not even going to read the verse yet because I want to create a little bit of tension here. We're going to share the verse at the very end. But what we're going to learn today is we give it, give an intro to the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. We're going to talk about the author. We're going to talk about the audience. But before we do any of that, I want to I want to just ask a question for you guys and for our listeners. If you wrote a book about what mattered most to you, what would be your first verse? That's a great question to think about before we see what Mark's first verse was here at the end of the of the episode. I don't know, Eric or Ross, what would you say? How would you answer that? That's a, I'd lo- I'd love to be able to say uh, that it's all about Jesus, right? Yeah. That, that that would be the most important thing. Um, I think I think other people might look at my life and identify some other things besides that. Mm-hmm. So that's a challenge. Yeah, you know, sports or bicycling or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely, if I was writing a book about myself, I would start out with this guy's completely sold out to Jesus, loves the Bible, and never wavered from his his faith or uh, enthusiasm for that. But sometimes I need to be humbled, brought back down to earth. If my kids wrote a book about me, I'm sure the first couple pages would talk about, yeah, he was an all right preacher, but he really liked golf a lot. It seemed like he was watching videos on swings all the time, you know? So when we had questions, no, anyway, yeah, really though, I think um, this is something we should all think about is, is what do we value most and does it come out of us? Yeah. Yeah, I think the same would be true for me, Eric. I, I, I would like to say that my first verse would be, this guy loved Jesus. He was all about Jesus or disciple-making. He, you know, he wanted to empower people to make disciples, which that's, mm-hmm. what, I, that's what I would like to be said about my life. I, I mean, I've been working on that since I was 16 years old, really, honestly. And, but, but maybe I'm being too generous with myself because my kids would probably say golf or... He hated people chewing loud or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> anyway, it's a great question. In fact, I encourage listeners to maybe even hit pause. If you're listening to this in the car with your family, hit pause and, and ask, go around and ask everybody if, if you wrote a book about what mattered most to you, what would be the first verse? That's a great question. Again, I'm, we're going to share Mark's first verse, Mark 1, verse 1, at the very end of the podcast. But before we get there, let's talk, Ross, let's talk a little bit about the book. Okay, let's let's give an intro to the Gospel of Mark. Okay, well, you know, the four Gospels are four biographies of Jesus written by his closest followers or people who are associated with them. And so you have, you have four different versions of his life that help, each one of them helps us get a better sense of who he is, and, and they're written for different audiences. So it's not just redundant. It's important that there's the four witnesses of his life. Mark's the shortest, um, and, and it's, it was, it's full of action. It has a lot less of Jesus' teachings in it. 
there are teachings of Jesus and addresses of discourses of Jesus in it, but it ha- it doesn't have the same amount of those kind of addresses or discourses as other gospels do. It's just it's just full of action and and um, it uses the word that, that shows up often is the word immediately or in some translation it says at once. You know, so this sense of always moving, on the move, um, always active, and always pursuing um, something. So it's just it's very vivid and very, um, very active. Yeah, here's an example of that. You know, forty times, at least forty times, the word immediately is in the Gospel of Mark, and Mark's only what sixteen chapters. So that's crazy how often it appears. Here's a here's an example, chapter one, verses sixteen and seventeen, and we'll we'll cover this later on in just a couple of weeks, but it says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets <coughs> and followed him. We see that word all over the place. Ross, I never, I, ne- I guess I never really stopped to think about this, that that Mark is the action gospel. And... So I've gone back in the last couple of weeks, I've gone back and kind of reread it. And it is, it's like short and sweet and concise. You know, the this account here in verses 16 and 17 of the calling of his disciples is right to the point, and some of the other gospels spend a lot more time on this, right? Yeah, it's almost like um it's almost like a movie script. Hmm. So in our generation, we're used to um like a movie doesn't spend a lot of time sitting and watching one scenario play out. It cuts from one place to another, and boom, boom, boom. And, and Mark kind of reads like um, more like a movie script than like a play or or like a book, really. Yeah, and I, you know, it's funny because I've always, I've always for years, I've told new believers when they say, "Where should I start when I read the Bible? Where should I start?" I always tell them to start with John, mm-hmm. because I love the Gospel of John, and uh, it, it's, it's just really paints a cool picture of Jesus, and it's one of my favorite books to read, and then you can go John, Acts, Romans, and so I always tell them John, but a lot of people say you should start with the Gospel of Mark because of this, because it's short, it's to the point. I think it's easier to understand than John. I think in John there's some there's some things that Jesus says that you really have to think hard about. Mark is... I'm, I've changed my mind, guys. Mark is the best gospel <laughs> for a new believer to read to get quickly oriented to Jesus, especially a young person who might suffer from ADD. Which Eric, that's you. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, I, you and I probably have a lot of similar character traits, and one of them is is wanting to get to work and wanting to get people to get to work, mm. and really, so that's why I was going to say it's fitting for you and me to like this gospel because not that I don't want a lot of Jesus's narratives and stuff. I do. I love exploring the parables and and Jesus' words in the other gospels. Uh, I really do. I'm not discounting that at all. This gospel is one that is just really trying to reveal who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he's calling us to do, Mm -hmm. right? That's why we call it the gospel in action. It just shows him immediately getting to work. You know, in the first chapter, like you said, those words immediately are at once. He's driven out into the wilderness, you know, immediately he goes out there to, to prepare his ministry, and and then boom, 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 he's doing all these miracles to, to prove his authority, right? And then when we get to the ver- first verse, it really, it doesn't 
it doesn't, you know, um, have the stories of the Christmas message. You know, mm. it doesn't have all of the what happened, um, you know, with Mary and, and Joseph and the angel and the Magi and stuff. It just gets directly to the point. Mm -hmm. And so for guys like like me and, and you and other people, sometimes we just like to get directly to the point. We The time is near. We don't know how much time we have left. Let's talk about who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he's asking us to do. Yeah, maybe you have a friend or or you know a preacher who just beats around the bush and you're like would you please get <laughs> to the point, right? We all know people like this, right, who have a hard time spitting it out. Mark is not one of those guys. I I I really appreciate that that he is clear, what I like to say to our preachers, he's clear, concise, hmm. and compelling and and I encourage listeners to read. Hopefully, over the next several months, you'll read and study, make a commitment to studying the book of Mark, and just pay attention to the action in this gospel. It really is full of action. Okay, so Ross, not to be Captain Obvious here, let's talk about the author for a second. Who wrote <laughs> the book of Mark? Oh, let's see. Mm, maybe it was Mark. <laughs> no, I mean, it's called the, the gospel of Mark or the book of Mark, uh, because traditionally, forever, the church has has understood that it was written by this guy who's mentioned in the Bible as John Mark or Mark. Um, you know, that that's um, not necessarily a given, but <clears throat> everything stacks up in that direction. And so the early church has always understood that this, this to be the case. Um, I don't think there's a place in the book where he actually identifies himself but it's based on um, the people in the first generation of Christians who knew him and knew his story and so forth, and so it goes back to that. Now, Mark, Mark is, was not one of the original, uh, the Twelve, um, the disciple, the uh, apostles, or the Twelve uh, of Jesus' closest followers. Um, so we don't really know. We don't have a picture of, of how much his life overlapped with Jesus himself, or uh, it... it it makes sense that as a young man that he was uh, was there around Jesus. He might have been part of the 72. He might have been part of the 120 that were in the, in the um, upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come on Pentecost. We just don't know all those things, but we see him um, active in the book of Acts, and we see him in, the, in Paul's epistles. And so uh, the tradition has always been, the, the, the earliest Christians understood that Mark wrote the book, and that he was actually, basically, he was um, writing on the basis of uh, the Apostle Peter, that he's interpreting or he's voicing the, the preaching and the memories um, of the Apostle Peter. So there's a sense in which, in which it has that apostolic authority, and it goes back to Peter through Mark. Now, where do we first learn about Mark in the Bible? Where, where do we meet Mark or John Mark in the Bible? Eric, uh, you're, a, you're a great student of the Word. Where, where would people first find out about Mark? Yeah, we actually uh, see that he was a companion um, to Paul and, and Barnabas, and so in Acts chapter 13, um, we see his name in these verses, verses 13 and 14. It says, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem, but Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch. And so 
this kind of sets up this this funny story. What what is probably the most famous that people will remember him by is that Paul and Barnabas later they have a sharp disagreement over um, Mark making a decision as he was doing ministry with Paul, going on his missionary journeys. Uh, Mark decides to leave and to go back. Um, he's, I don't know, for whatever reason he's, he's done, he, he wants to go back and be with family, he's hungry, whatever, whatever it is, he's just sick of the, the sacrifice of the, the missionary journey. So Paul feels like he was uh, deserted by him. And so then in Acts chapter 15, it, it says, it says uh, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. And so John Mark's at the center of this disagreement of this great relationship. Barnabas was basically Paul's mentor. Hmm. Um, and some, some people believe that actually I think that John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. And, and he's right there at the center of this sharp disagreement. Now, now Paul and Barnabas, had, they're splitting over this and... So that's where we see uh, John Mark. He doesn't have a, a great reputation to start out, but yet it seems that God used him because he writes possibly the first gospel message in the Bible. So it's really a great redeeming story of how God can use a guy who who irritated some people, made a couple of people. He may, maybe made a bad decision, a wrong decision that maybe ruined his reputation with a guy like Paul. But yet later we even see, you know, in First Timothy that Paul says, okay, as, as, as Paul gets to the end of his life, because it's believed that Second Timothy is one of his last letters, he says, bring, bring John Mark to me, for he is useful for the gospel. And so even Paul forgives him and realizes that there's a call on this guy's life. And, and yet, I don't know if he knew, but now we know that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this this amazing book that we're going to be studying now. Okay, so let's review. Let's let's summarize and even speculate a little bit here. So everything you just said there, Eric, let me for people that maybe it was a little quick for them. So f- the first missionary journey of Paul, Mark is on, right? That's in mm-hmm. Acts. What were there three missionary journeys? Journeys in the book of Acts of Paul. The first one is Acts thirteen, and and John Mark was with them until he left them, and you, you read that already in chapter 13, but it doesn't say in chapter 13 why he left. Mm-hmm. So we get a little bit more information on the second missionary journey. They're getting ready to go on the second missionary journey in Acts 15. Paul says to Barnabas, and Barnabas was, what was it, Colossians 4 says that Barnabas is Mark's cousin. So Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and visit, second missionary journey. Barnabas says, yeah, let's do it, but let's take my cousin. Paul says no. He disagreed strongly, which was interesting. Paul, was, Paul seemed like he was a pretty opinionated guy. And it, we get a little more information. The reason is because it says, according to Acts, 
which is the author is Luke, that he admits that that John Mark deserted them. So now we get a little bit more information about why John left. We still don't know why. Right. He just deserted, but but now we say it was a desertion. Like it, to me, that's not a good thing. Right, right, Ross. Right. He just he pulled the plug, and and if, if you look at the first missionary journey where where John Mark left them, he really didn't make it that far into the into the whole journey. Mm-hmm. You know, they went did quite a lot after he was gone. Right. So, you know, he really didn't make it that far. And yeah, um, yeah we don't. Again, we don't know. He's we know he's young. Yeah, he's a pretty young guy, and so, you know. So, the, you know, to me, that just brings up something in me that he failed early on. He was, he was you know, re- it kind of reminds me of Peter as well, mm-hmm. right? Because Peter was very gung-ho, zealous, hmm. uh, fails earlier on, and then is restored. It's almost like the same thing is happening with John Mark, and that's probably why they must have, you know, hooked up. They had a lot in common, but uh-huh. it reminds me of my own life, you know, is... Um, being through a lot of hard times, failure in my life, wondering if God was going to use me. Um, and then God, God does use me for ministry. I, I, I'm a pastor now. God's used me in, in so many different situations that I haven't felt qualified for because of all my failures. And mm-hmm. yet, yet people like you guys here in this room have said, no, we, you know, we affirm that you're the call on your life, you know, even though you've You've uh, failed with, you know, in your past life with addictions and things like that. And so so I relate to going back to the way that Mark writes mm. and the way the book is laid out. It seems like, let's get to the point, let's be bold, let's have courageous faith. Now we look at, he didn't have courageous faith at first. Yeah, it's like he had to learn that almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is interesting that his early story is a story of failure, Mm-hmm. To some extent, but then we see that, like you said, um, Eric, that Paul says later in his life, Second Timothy four, that Mark is useful. So, and that's Paul saying that. Paul had said earlier that Mark deserted us, and now mm-hmm. he says Mark is useful. It just shows us that God's the God of second chances, and and may possibly John Mark had really learned the lesson that I, we need to be urgent. That mm-hmm. I may, you know, maybe we don't know, but maybe, maybe when we meet him someday in heaven, he'll tell us, yeah, that's exactly what I learned is I, in my younger years, I, I didn't understand the urgency I needed and I deserted them. So I wrote the urgent gospel. Exactly. I wrote the gospel that got to the point. Yeah. Now, again, we're speculating yeah. a little bit, yeah. but, but we can pull these pieces together in scripture. And I think that's pretty fun to do. And like you said, Eric, it's so reminiscent of Peter's life, right? Peter screwed up so many times. And and but yet God used him. He was so useful for the gospel. And and John Mark probably got his information from Peter as he wrote this gospel. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what everyone believes. So that's interesting how the pieces come together uh, for this. Okay. So Ross, that's the author, John Mark. And what about the audience? Who? Anytime you're reading or studying a book of the Bible, you need to ask who wrote it. And who did they write it to? And then we'll finish with why did they write it? What's the purpose? So who's the audience, Ross? Yeah, it appears to be. He doesn't say. Now, some of the, like in Luke, in Luke, uh, he, he tells us who the audience is. He's writing to this guy named Theophilus. And other, other Matthew is really clear he's writing to the Jew, Jewish audience because he's talking about all the fulfilled prophecies and he, and he re- really assumes a lot of the lore of Judaism. But Mark is probably writing to Gentile Christians because he has to explain. We see throughout the book that he explains 
the Jewish customs. He explains that that would be foreign to the to a Gentile audience, and, and a lot of people think he's writing to uh, Christians in Rome. Um, it, it's hard to know for sure, but the Romans were practical, action-oriented people. And so, you know, in some ways, the Romans were like Americans today. Americans are practical, they're action-oriented, um, and so, you know, the audience is really, ultimately, um, this is why I think we can relate to the Gospel of Mark, uh, because we're not Jewish, and it explains some things, you know, and we're, as Americans, we're active, we're pragmatic, and so forth, and so... Um, it, it seems like he was writing to that audience, which, you know, ultimately the Bible's written for us. Um, it's written for whoever reads it, but we can relate, I think, to Mark because of that. Yeah, and it was probably written, I, I think on top of this, if this is true that it was written to Gentiles, possibly in Rome, it was, it was probably written during a time when persecution threatened the church, right? So that, as we read it, we need to recognize that that's part of what mo the backdrop, I guess, for, for Mark's writing. So now you can see, yeah, he's not going to spend a lot of time embellishing. Like, he wants to get to the point because he's mm -hmm. got a message that he really needs to share. Kind of like some people, some Christians do this on, on a flight. Like, they recognize the urgency, and they're sitting next to someone who doesn't know Jesus, and so they're going to share Jesus mm -hmm. before that thing touches down, mm -hmm. right? Eric, you're probably one of those Or people. if the airplane... Uh, falls out of the sky. That's usually what I'm thinking. <laughs> you know, the end could come at any moment. Whether 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 we get we, we land and and the end of the world comes or this plane comes down. And so I better share the gospel. I want to be sharing the gospel before I die. Wouldn't that be the greatest way? You know, rather than just sitting around doing nothing, right? <laughs> and I think that's out. kind of probably what again Mark's thinking in his mind is: let's get to work. Let's share the good news with everyone that we can. I mean, and he's, yeah, like you said, he's, he's writing probably under a time of persecution to the Romans, and, and Rome is the, the epicenter of the authority and the, the persecuting authority, the evil authority at the time. And so they would have been, you know, scared for their lives, running and hiding, and so this could also be, yeah, a letter to them to, to encourage them with with boldness, with faith. Remember all the things that our Savior did. Remember what He's going to do. Remember who He is, and this should cause you to to jump into action again in my own life because I've been through a lot. Now I, you know, want to share the gospel. Um, with people. I want, as you said in the first question, you know, if someone, if someone, or if you wrote a book, what would, what would it be about? What would people think that you value? What would be the first verses? Well, I would hope that the first thing I would say or somebody would say about me is he really wanted to share the gospel with everyone around him. Yeah, and you know, so with the persecution, this is about the time of Nero, and we know that there was a persecution. Now, the church had been persecuted before. Acts chapter 8 talks about persecution within a local persecution within Jerusalem. But this is more, this is like the known world. This is like the Roman Empire. <clears throat> and so it would create a sense of urgency. You think, man, we don't know if we're going to be around in, in five years or tomorrow, you know. So um, that's, why, that's why in Mark's gospel, the, the flow of it, like, 
it, it's all building toward the end of chapter 8. And the end of chapter 8 is where Peter makes the, the, the profession of Jesus' identity. He says, you're the, you're the Messiah, the, the Son of God. And, and he says, oh, wow, that's, the lights go on. And, the, and, 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 and then at that point then, then Jesus reveals, oh, here's what, it, here's what that means for me to actually be the Messiah. And the next couple of chapters all talk about what it means to be a sold-out disciple of the Messiah. If you're gonna if you're gonna follow me, and if this is who I really am, and you're gonna follow me, then he's challenging them. There, there's he's gonna say you're gonna, you're gonna be focused. You're gonna you know you're gonna make choices that reflect this. That this is gonna be um, challenging to live against the flow of the world. But that makes sense if um, the powers of culture and and government is, and so forth were beginning to oppose the church more than ever before. Mm. You know, this reminds me of one of my favorite movie quotes of all time. When I think about Rome in the Roman times 2,000 years ago, Gladiator, I think it was Maximus who said this, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Mm. And I, I think mm. that's kind of, now it's probably not a real quote. I'm sure it was just a Hollywood thing. <laughs> but I do think that that's, for Christians, I think that's something that we should keep in mind. And I think that's what John Mark probably learned as he went on this missionary journey with Paul and then bailed early. And then later on, he ends up writing this action-oriented gospel, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And so let's finish with this intro to Mark. Let's finish with the aim. What's the point? We've talked about the book in general. We've talked about the author. We've talked about the audience. What, what was the big idea? Why did Mark write this? And I think, guys, it's finally time for us to read verse 1. Mm-hmm. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Now, in later episodes, we're going to cover more than one verse. We're not going to go one verse at a time, or this would take us forever. <laughs> but this yeah. first verse is really is such a great first verse to intro this whole gospel, because here's what it says. Mark 1, verse 1. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. You know, I'm, I've, I've been studying a lot about how to write better, and one of the one of the things, one of the things that I've been learning about it is you need to, you need to start your book or your article or your sermon. You got to start with a just a good opener, like a good solid opener that that hooks them, that gets them, that gets them thinking about like like if you're writing about um, hot dogs and how hot dogs are made. You know, I I didn't I didn't ever I always wondered how hot dogs were made. Now I know. And I wish I didn't. You know, You'll never like eat a hot dog again, <laughs> yeah, right? right. Yeah. And I love that Mark, this is what Mark does, is he starts, he starts this book off with just right to the point. Here's what this is about. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Ross, I see at least three things there that we need mm-hmm. to talk about. The good news, Jesus the Messiah, Son of God. What does he mean when he says this is the good news? Yeah, that word, um, it's, the, it's the word gospel. So he says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And that's why we call them the gospels, because Mark starts out by identifying this. But the idea of good news is, you know, this is going to be, this is going, that life of Jesus, as he, as he talks about who he is and presents him and why he came, we're going to see that the life of Jesus provides good news to humanity. It provides good news about a relationship with God. It provides uh, good news about um, you know our problems as human beings and how God has solved those problems through Jesus, 
our Savior. So each one of these points, the Messiah, the Son of God, uh, that each one of those captures an idea of good news. Um, he wants us to know right off the bat that there's something hopeful, something um, you know that we need that's inherent in the work and the person of Jesus. Which is interesting because I think I think for some churches, you know, you might go to a church and the tone in the church isn't good news, it's bad news. Because the, the truth is there is bad news. The bad news is you're a sinner, you're broken, you screw up. John Mark, you screw up. Peter, you screw up. So we know that there's bad news, but I love that John Mark, and I think this is a good lesson for all of us, maybe some people are wired a little bit more like a pessimist. Mm. And I think it's really important to see in the gospel, in the good news, the good part of it. Let the good part of it frame it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't bring the bad part in. We do, and and John does, or John Mark does here is in this as well. But it's good news. Like mm-hmm. what we're offering the world is good. What we're urgently offering the world is good. It's not just hellfire and brimstone. It's good news. Yeah, in a world where there's a lot of bad news, yeah. right? Yeah. If we yeah. if we turn on the TV, we've got wars going on and and the economy and just, you know, sin and legislation and 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 bad leaders and just over and over and over again, storms and tornadoes and, you know, hurricanes, these things that are that keep keep us depressed really you know things that are bad news to humanity and if you think about the audience if they're under this persecution because he's writing to roman christians possibly <laughs> gentile christians and they're they're fearful they're afraid they're scared they're they're the minority mm. in the world he says right off the bat he wants to start out with you know all the bad news but let's get to the point of the good news. Here's what matters most. Here's what matters for eternity. No matter how much, how many more years we live here on this earth, the good news is that you've been a sinner. You've been separated from God. You haven't known the truth. You haven't known the real God. And I'm going to reveal him to you. And 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 who he is 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 the God who became man who grew up and died in our place to take our punishment for our sins so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be made right with God. He's saying, I want to start this book out encouraging you of the good news that you have to carry in your heart and your mind as you go throughout this world in bad news, is that you are going to live forever. Yeah, and he doesn't say, here's the good news about you, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's not about you. Yep. It's the good news about... Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah. And Ross, there's two things there. It's Jesus, which in the Hebrew is Yeshua. So explain that to us, but then it's also Messiah. So there's two things in there. Yeah, related to that. So that Jesus' name, the very name Jesus, um, means that the Lord is salvation. Now, I don't know if that's if Mark's audience understood that necessarily, but he, but Mark is going to play that out through the whole book. He's going he's to point to the identity of Jesus. And so remember the angel told Joseph, this is in my Matthew's gospel, you'll call him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. Mm-hmm. And then the Messiah, again, <clears throat> the Messiah was part of the Jewish background, part of the Jewish lore, that he was the expected ruler and deliverer of Israel. So throughout the Old Testament, there's an expectation of this coming Messiah who's going to set everything right, who's going to set up God's kingdom. Um, and, and 
so Mark talks a lot about God's kingdom, and he'll talk about it here in chapter one and within the next couple of weeks. But um, one one thing that's interesting is that Mark makes sure that we understand how Jesus understood the idea of Messiah. So Jesus says some things about being Messiah in the in this book that were surprising, that were um, challenging, and that turned the idea on its head. But the fact is that he's the he is the a savior appointed by God. He is the ruler, the king, appointed by God as the fulfillment of all of God's promises for humanity. And that is good news, that this person would finally appear on the scene. Yeah, and again, uh, just going back to if he was talking to Roman Christians at the time, and he's saying, here's the good news, is that there's a real king. You know, you've got this, yeah. this evil emperor, or Caesar, but the good news is that the real king has stepped on the scene, and he's bringing good news for the world. He's bringing good news. I heard this. I'm, you know, this isn't from my own knowledge. I'm not that that smart. But I had heard uh, from from another guy about this very particular uh, word. The good news, you know, the original word was actually kind of taken from um, Romans used to come and like declare something that was supposed to be good news. So they would say, hear ye, hear ye, you know, the the king or the emperor is is on their way, or they've had a son, you know, and it, that was supposed to be good news to to the people, and Mark's kind of using their own language in a sense, saying, mm -hmm. hear ye, hear ye, we've got a good king, and he brings salvation, and that word uh, Messiah, and in other translations, it's just the Christ. That's what it means. The Christ mm -hmm. is the Savior. He's the Messiah. So Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. It is really his title. So. <laughs> title yeah. mm -hmm. Okay, so then there's one more thing, right? Because mm -hmm. it says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So, Ross, what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? How would the Romans have heard that? What did John Mark mean by that? It, yeah, it marks Jesus as having this very unique relationship with God that nobody else has. Now we know, as you, as you look at the whole Bible and put the pieces together, and the Gospel of John helps us a lot on this, and, um, but we know the bigger picture on this is that that means that Jesus is God himself, that he's the second person of the Trinity. Um, but for the original audience, I think that, that Mark is speaking to, he's saying that this one is unique among all humanity, that he's, there's something unique about him. He's a cut above, you might say, that he has this special relationship with God that's marked by a son, sonship is sharing in the characteristics of, the, of, of a father, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's adoptive, the Romans practiced adoptive sonship, and that gave the son a special status in sharing something. Often a Roman a nobleman would adopt a son because they saw in them the, something that they valued or something that, that that reflected their own character and qualities and values and so forth. So so Jesus is the Son of God, says this is a unique person who has a unique relationship with God that nobody else has. Yeah, and you're, you're exactly right. You know, the Son of God title for Jesus has so much meaning to it, and we'll see it over and over again. And Mark, you said in in eight, where where Peter, you know, makes this foundational statement that he's the Christ, the Son of the Living God, right? The Son of the Living God, and and it, 
it also reveals the Trinity, and in chapter 1, we'll see the, the baptism where the Spirit, the Father, and the Son are all together, and it reminds me of, you know, to the, the Nicene Creed, you know, what we believe as Christians is that to be the Son of God is to be God. You can't be from God, but not God, and, you know, the Nicene Creed, I, I think, stated something like, he is very God of God, or light of light, uh, you know, expounding on even... John John's gospel where he says in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God so in order to be the son of God you would have to be God yourself and that's really again he's he's opening up with the first this first verse is just impregnated with meaning it's beautiful mm -hmm. he's the savior he's the king uh, he brings the good news and he is the second member of the Trinity who comes with all authority, bringing about his kingdom and his yeah. salvation. So Ross, yeah. as, as we read through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, what are the things we should be looking for around this claim of Jesus and his identity? Yeah, he starts with this, again, to set the whole tone for the book. So the rest of the book, there's two things going on that Mark wants to point out. One is... Um, he's going to provide evidence for these claims. He's going to show, as he shows Jesus' life, he's going to show us his wisdom, his authority. He's going to show us his spiritual power. He's going to show us what the kingship of Jesus looks like as he heals people of diseases and he casts out spiritual forces of spiritual darkness, demons, and so forth. Um, he's demonstrating his compassion throughout the book. So all of these all of these episodes in the book are designed to demonstrate the claim that he makes in verse 1. And then the second thing going on in the whole book that we can see throughout is it shows us how people respond to these claims. And so some people accept him as the Messiah, begin to follow him, and Mark helps us understand what that means. And some people are confused. Um, at times, including those who follow him, are confused, like, whoa, wait, what? You said what? Or you are who? And and so there's a lot of people sorting out who Jesus is, and then some, some people flat out oppose him. And so we can see ourselves in each of those kind of responses, mm -hmm. and we can see how, maybe how our own response fluctuates, or how it used to be, or, or what it's like now, and what it's going to be like in the future, um, as Mark invites us to think about our own response to him. Well, so now we have the answer, Mark's answer, to that question we started with. You know, if you wrote a book about what mattered most, what would be the first verse? Well, here's Mark's answer. Mark's first verse is, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm going to encourage you to think about what's your answer to that. What's your life about? Talk about it. Talk about it with your small group, with your family, maybe with a mentor. If you want to use resources, find additional resources, additional links for not just this episode, but the next several months as we go through these first few chapters of the book of Mark. You can find all of it online at pursuegod.org slash Mark. And then make sure to join us next time as we continue to dive into this incredible book. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.